This message was given by Matt Harama at Campus Fellowship's Fall Conference 2022. The theme of the conference was the greatest story ever told, a look at how the Bible is one coherent story. We hope you find this encouraging. As people migrated from the east, that's where the ark landed and all the people started living. As they migrated, they found a valley in the land of Shinar and they settled there. And, and catch this. They did that instead of spreading out over the whole world. They found this really awesome valley. And they said to each other, come, let's make oven-fired bricks. They used brick for stone and asphalt for mortar. And they said, come, let's build a city and a tower with its top in the sky. Let's make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we'll be scattered throughout the earth. And that would be terrible. Even though God, that's what he commanded them to do. And the Lord looked down on this situation and he saw a big problem. The problem was mankind's desire to be God. And that desire has reached new heights, literally. They were building a tower to the heavens. And they weren't just creating a tower, by the way. The tower is sort of symbolic for the whole thing that was going on with them. They were creating a, they were creating a, a society, a, a, an economic system, a government system, lifting some people up over others as God's over others. So they weren't content just to be their own individual God. They wanted to reign over other people because gods have subjects, right? That's what all the other pagan religions believe. They wanted to dominate and exploit people. I mean, guess who got to inhabit the highest level of the towers? I mean, the ziggurat that they were building, the strongest, those who could subjugate the most people, the men who could enslave the most women, and those who could accumulate the most power and wealth and influence, those were the ones that got to live at the top and be called God. And everybody else were slaves, fueling that system. So God had mercy on all of the people, and like I said, he scattered like a fire. He scattered all of the embers confusing the language so that they couldn't fool that heat, that destructive heat of plans and ingenuity together toward evil ends. So he had mercy. And out of that situation, he sets in motion a plan that's going to span generations, thousands of years. And it's a project it's kind of an education and rescue project. So far, in the first 11 chapters of Genesis, God has shown us we have a big problem. We need a rescuer, and he's getting started with this rescue project. And it all starts by making a covenant with this random man, Abram. I say random, kind of facetiously. God had a plan. It wasn't just, well, roll the dice and pick that one. The son of a moon worshiper, Abram. Genesis 12, verse 1. Read with me. The Lord said to Abram, Go from your land and from your relatives and your father's house to the land that I will show you. This is hard to know the significance of this call. Um, in our society today, like that's the goal, right? To leave your parents' house and go make a life for yourself. That's like the goal. We want to get out of the house. Back then, your land and your people, that's where your stuff was. And that's where your future was. That's where your security was. That's where your retirement package was. 
But instead, God says, I want you to leave all of that. I want you to trust me with your future. Go to the land that I will show you. He doesn't even say where it is. He just says, get up and start going. I'm going to show you a place. I will and here's the promise. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse anyone who treats you with contempt. And all the people on the earth will be blessed through you. And so Abram went, as the Lord told them. And Lot went with him as his brother. And Abram was 75 years old when he left Haran. Note the detail here. I will make you a nation. I will make you great. And I will bless people through you. These are the exact things that Babylon was trying to do. We're going to have a great name. We're going to have a nation, and we won't be scattered. But notice the opposite effect that God intended Abraham. I'm going to bless everyone through you, whereas the project of Babylon, the Tower of Babylon, would have been a curse to most people. The exact thing Babylon was trying to do with the exact opposite actual impact. So we're going to fast forward in the story. Three chapters, many years go by, decades go by, and Abram becomes a very great and very powerful man. He accumulates a lot of people around him, a lot of followers, and he accumulates a lot of stuff with him in these three chapters. But he still has no children, and that's a big deal. Because what happens when you die? All your stuff goes to your children. And if you don't have any children, it goes to some random person. That's no good. I have no heritage. I have no lasting name. God promised me a name. But if I have no children to carry on that name, that's a big problem. Also in chapters 12 through 14, and really the rest of Abram's story all the way through, we find out he's a pretty complicated dude. Are we familiar with the story of Abram? He like takes his wife and they go to Egypt and he's like, hey, while we're here, I want you to pretend you're my sister so that nobody hurts me because you're really beautiful and they're going to try to take you from me. So I'm just going to give you up in the first place so that I don't get hurt. That's a pretty crummy thing to do to a woman, isn't it? Abram's a pretty complicated guy. He doesn't protect his wife. He protects himself. He's kind of a scoundrel sometimes. This is one instance of it. He does it actually again later. And I think that's important for us. We're supposed to relate to that. It's hard to relate to Adam. Adam was born in a state of innocence. Adam had no actual sin going on. He had the possibility to sin, but he also had the possibility to not sin. We can't relate to that. Ever since Adam's fall, we have our inclination of our heart is toward evil, the Bible says. Adam had the world's only free choice. Adam and Eve had the only two humans ever to have the real free choice. We won't talk about free will, that's complicated. <laughs> Noah, it says, was a righteous man. Because like the one righteous man out of all of humanity. We can't relate to that. But we can relate to Abram. He's complicated. Sometimes he does the right thing. And sometimes he does horrible and confusing things. That sounds a little more relatable to me. But God still promises to bless Abram. That's good news for us. God can work with people like us. Genesis 15. Verse 1. Fast forward a few verses, a few chapters. 
After all this stuff, after all the scoundrel and confusing stuff, after these events, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, and your reward will be very great. But Abram was confused. What do you mean my reward is great? I still have no children, and Sarah and I are both getting really old. Do you know that when people are really old, they stop having babies? Physically impossible. No eggs left. Doesn't work anymore. How's that going to work, God? And so in verse 4, the word of the Lord came to him. No, don't worry about that. Your, this, your stuff is not going to go to some random slave guy. Instead, one who comes from your own body will be your heir. And in fact, he took him outside and he said, look at the sky and count the stars. If you are able to count them. If you're able to count the stars, look at them. Count them. If you can count them. Your offspring are going to be that numerous. Verse 6. One of the most important verses in the Bible. Abram believed the Lord. And he credited to him his righteousness. Credited to him his righteousness. Abram was not a righteous guy. He was kind of a scoundrel. He was complicated. He was a sinner. But God promised him something impossible would happen, and he believed it. All right? Did you say so? And that's where Abram's righteousness came from. It's a really, really important concept in the Bible. Righteousness comes through faith, not from your actions. Your actions get you all the sin and consequences. Righteousness comes through faith. And in verse 7, he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur in the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. There's that brought you out of Ur again. But Abram said, Lord God, how can I know that I will possess it? I, I, you're making a deal with me. The way these deals go is I need some, some sort of sign. So God does this really weird thing. So maybe you've heard this story before. This is going to be new for some of you. This very, very strange thing. God says, okay, bring me a three-year-old cow, a three-year-old female goat, a three-year-old male goat, such as a sheep, a ram. Bring me a turtle dove and a young pigeon uh, and a shrubbery. Put it on top of the other shrubbery with a pat on the So Abram brought all these things to him, cut them in half, laid the pieces on the opposite side of each other, but he didn't cut the birds in half. And birds of prey started coming down the carcasses, but Abram drove them away. Okay, how does Abram know what to do with these things? God didn't say, and cut them in half and lay them out. God just says, bring me these things. And Abram goes, I know what's going on here. We're making a covenant. I've seen this done before. There's something going on here that was a standard feature of covenants back then. Suzerain Treaty. And what would happen is, the greater king would come and rescue the lesser king and say, I told you this last night, we're going to make a deal, I'm going to rescue you, but here's the stipulations. And this feature of cutting animals in half, and what's going to happen in a minute, I'm just going to keep reading. Let's just keep reading, and then I'll explain. The Lord said to Abram, know this for certain. So here's the stipulations of the covenant. Your offspring will be resident aliens for 400 years in a land that does not belong to them, and they will be enslaved and oppressed. Wait, what? 
However, I will judge that nation they serve, and afterward they will go out with many possessions, but you will go to your ancestors in peace and be buried at a good old age. And in the fourth generation they will return here, for the iniquity of the Amorites has not yet reached its full measure. What? God is prophesying to Abram about this plan that he has, about how he knows history is going to unfold and what he's going to do about it. That's what's happening here. And then God makes a very strange thing happen. When the sun had set and it was dark, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch appeared and passed between the divided animals. And on that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, I give you this land to your offspring. From the brook of Egypt, the great river, to the Euphrates, the Euphrates River, the land of the Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Kadmonites, the Hethites, the Perizzites, the Rephaim, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Girgashites, and the Jebusites. Interesting thing here, the word offspring, when it occurs in this covenant, is in the singular form. Your child, to the one who comes from you, to your offspring, generations later, your singular offspring. Paul makes a big deal out of this in Galatians, we'll actually get there later. So God's making a deal with Abram making a deal that Abram recognizes. Oh, okay, the great king is coming, and here's, here's what the animals are about. What happens when a great king, when a high king makes a deal with a lesser king or a, a lower person? He said, I'm going to give you this deal. I'm going to give you these things according to the terms of our treaty. And I'm going to make you walk through these dead animals so that you have a visual of what is happening here. If you break our covenant, you are going to end up like those animals. That was the, the nature of the, that was why there was these dead animals. So somebody would walk through in the presence of this great king and say, yes, I'm going to keep your covenant and may it be to me as it is with these animals if I break the covenant. What were the promises? I am going to be your shield, your great reward, your offspring will be as numerous as the stars, and they're going to have this very specific patch of land but does Abraham walk through the animals like would normally happen? No. He goes to sleep. And God does the walking. The high king does the walking. And in a very, very surprising image to people who would have received this text, the king says, it may be to me as it is with these animals if I don't come through for you. The promise and the covenant with Abram was a one-sided deal. Abram, you get all this blessing. Full stop. I'm going to pay the price if you break with my covenant. It's crazy. It's beautiful. And familiar to those of us who know the gospel story. So Abram goes on from here. I'm going to fast forward just a little bit actually to the next chapter. All right. Abram goes to his wife Sarai and tells her about this. We're going to have so many children. <laughs> Sarai. And she's like, what are you talking about? It's physically impossible. Not going to happen, buddy. Listen to this. Verse 1, 16 verse 1. Abram's wife Sarai had not borne any children for him. 
But she owned an Egyptian slave named Hagar. And she said, I have an idea. That's not what she said. She said to Abraham, since the Lord has prevented me from bearing children, go to my slave. Perhaps through her, I can build a family. I don't know about you, uh, I don't know about you ladies, but if I were in her shoes, that would, that seems like a really bad idea. How would you feel about that? And Abraham agreed. Oh, <laughs> uh, what? Abraham agreed to what Sarai said. So Abram's wife, Sarai, took Hagar, her Egyptian slave, and gave her to her husband, Abram, as a wife for him. This happened after Abram had lived in the land of Canaan for 10 years, and he slept with Hagar, and she became pregnant. And when she saw that she had become pregnant, Sarai became contemptible toward her. Now I hate you. Here's what's going on. Abram and Sarai could not see how God was going to come through on this promise to grant them these many offspring, numerous as the stars. They just couldn't see how it was physically possible. So what did they do? Well, they reasoned in their own human wisdom, I don't know how God's going to do that because it's physically impossible, but mm, let's think. I've got some ideas about how we could make that promise happen. Here's the, here's the point. Brothers and sisters and friends, here's the point. Bad things happen when people take it on themselves to make a thing God has promised come true out of their own effort. And it's illustrated in one of the most awkward stories in the entire Bible. I can't imagine my wife saying to me, I've got an idea, I've got this friend over here, why don't you sleep with her? What? My wife is like one of the greater sources of wisdom in my life. Like next to the Holy Spirit, it's my wife. In fact, the Psalms talk about the wife being the helper, the paraclete, which is the only other time that word is used is for the Holy Spirit. So I've got like the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit slash Nancy. Like, it's like, and if she told me something like that, my mind would just be like, I don't know what I would even do. My mind would be blown. I would say, what's wrong with you? We need to sit down and have a serious talk. But I also can't imagine me saying, okay. <laughs> Sounds good to me. This is, this is seriously messed up. But that's how we are. That's how we are in our hearts and in our minds when we take something God has promised and we try to make it happen by our own effort. Most all of the craziness that's going on in the Middle East can be explained by people trying to make God's promises happen by their own efforts. By human governments trying to bring out the plan of God. Most of the craziness in the Christian church can be explained by people trying to make God's promises happen by their own efforts. Revivals. I know we need to get a lot of people saved. That's physically impossible. But I've got some ideas about how we might be able to make it seem like a lot of people are getting saved. So we're going to have this mass revival movement. Whole branches of the church. Whole branches of the church lost their mind. A lot of crazy and a lot of... A lot of bad things happening. The church plant to Rhode Island, that area of the country is known as the Burned Over District. Because in the 1800s, there was a revival movement with this guy named Charles Finney who figured out how to produce conversions. And he did it en masse. And people would show up by the thousands to these meetings and get saved. 
But they didn't actually get saved because it's not something that humans can do on their own. You need God's help for that. So what you had was a lot of people got really excited about Christianity for a little while and then went back to their normal lives. And that place was thoroughly inoculated to the gospel, to the preaching of the gospel in normal churches. And to this day, it's very hard soil for church planting. Most of the craziness in your life can be explained by either misunderstanding God's promises, not believing God's promises, claiming something as a promise that God did not in fact promise, or trying to make God's promises happen by your own effort, resulting in suffering in your life. That's what's going on with this crazy thing going on officially. So after that all happens, God comes back another time and said, hey, Abram, look a deal, and I'm going to come through from your own body but not for Mishnah. Let's look at chapter 17, verse 1. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him, saying, I am God Almighty. Live in my presence and be blameless. I will set up my covenant between me and you, and I will multiply you greatly. And then Abram fell face down. I mean, after a life, 99 years, decades of this promise with nothing happening, massive failure, multiple, multiple failures in his marriage, lots of crazy chaos now with his 13-year-old son, Ishmael, and his slave-slash-wife, Hagar. So when God comes this time, he falls face down. And God spoke with him. He says, as for me, here is my covenant with you you will become the father of many nations. Your name will no longer be Abram, but Abraham, for I will make you the father of many nations. I will make you extremely fruitful, and I will make nations and kings come from you. I will confirm my covenant that is between me and you and your future offspring throughout their generations. It's a permanent covenant to be your God and the God of your offspring after you. That's what's going to happen. Abraham, to you and your future offspring, I will give the land where you are residing, all the land of Canaan, as a permanent possession, and I will be their God. It's a really interesting phrasing. I will be their God. How can you tell God? How do you know? And God also said to Abraham, as for you, you and your offspring after you throughout their generations are to keep my covenant. This is the covenant between me and you, me and you and your offspring after you, which are to keep. Every one of your males must be circumcised. You must circumcise the flesh of your foreskin to serve as a sign of the covenant between me and you. Here's what you have to do, Abraham, to keep this covenant. The most awkward and painful surgery that a man can go through. That's how we're going to make this go down. I, I just, I've joked around with my buddies late at night about how that conversation must have gone. <laughs> what? <laughs> you want me to do what? Well, I, I mean, I guess I've kind of messed it up so far over the last several decades. I guess I kind of have it coming. <laughs> Increasing detail of an unfolding covenant. The prologue again. The structure that we, we talked about. The prologue of the covenant. Why does God have the right to make this covenant with Abraham. There's actually two prologues. The first one is in 15 verse 7. I already pointed out 
He said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess there that brought you out of, saved you from language one more time. And in this last time, the final time he establishes the covenant, he just says, I am God Almighty. That's why I have the right to do this. What are the grants? What are the promises? The promises of a God. The God who will be with them. He says, I will be your shield. I'm be with you as a shield. What's the place? Canaan. The land of Canaan. It starts to get specified. It's narrowed down from the whole earth. Starting a new rescue project, Abram, starting with you. And we're going to focus on this land of Canaan. I'm going to give you that. Offspring. as numer A people. Offspring as numerous as the stars. Promised offspring. Promised land. Promised offspring. And a king, Abram, is going to be king under God. And many kings are going to come from him. And the global impact of this, we talked about the feature, one feature of the covenant being a global impact. I will bless all of the nations through you. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you. There's an addition here that carries through for the rest as well of a name. People, a place, a king, and a name. People have gone to great lengths to show that there's a name for Noah and Adam as well, but because it fits the grid better, but I'm not going to go there. I will make your name great, like one of the great ones, Abel. What are the obligations of this covenant? Well, he fell asleep. None. This is a one-sided covenant. You don't even have to do anything. I will do this. You will have offspring. You will possess this land. I will be your God and the God of your offspring. Promise. Sign of the covenant, circumcision. Not going to go into detail about circumcision because it's uncomfortable. But also because it's a little detracting from what we're trying to do. Back to our chart. What's the scope? Let's, let's talk about the scope for a second. This is important because God is starting a project within this covenant of, with Adam and Noah. This covenant with Abram. The Abrahamic covenant. That's all the technical word for it. Back to our chart. We see that the first two covenants encompass all of the human race. Those squares are all people throughout all time. That's what those squares are. And now he starts a pilot project, a rescue project, starting with this one guy, Abraham, blessing the whole earth through many offspring of a single family. That's going to be a familiar theme. A family, the father was Abraham. We're going to go on to the rest of Genesis. We're actually not going to cover this. The rest of Genesis talks about Isaac and then Jacob. Jacob's sons, the 12 sons, the tribes of Israel. God is going to work through these tribes to bless the whole world. That's what those arrows are. Those are arrows you can't see, by the way. Speaking to the whole nation, all of the world, all the peoples of the world. I'm making this covenant with you to show something to the entire world. Well, how did that go for them? How did this go for them? We step back and we look at the big picture of mankind through the rest of Genesis. We see that Jacob, so we have Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We see that Jacob was a cheater. Actually, yeah, he was a cheater. That was his name, literally means cheater. He did some really wild things. 
we see that there's a slave trade going on. Joseph's brothers sell him into slavery. We see that the nation of Egypt is building ziggurats, by the way. We still have those on the planet. And they're dominating the entire world, the most powerful empire in the entire world. But we start to see that not only is the human condition still sinful, every inclination of their heart bent toward evil from their youth onward, but we also see that God starts blessing the world through this line of Abraham. Joseph saves the world. It's a great story of Genesis. Like, compare the story of Joseph to the story of Jesus at some point. It's amazing, the parallels. Joseph literally saves the entire world from death. God's chosen instrument. If you found this encouraging, we hope you'll subscribe or follow for more content. Or go to our website, campusfellowship.com, for other resources. Campus Fellowship is a student organization whose goal is to come alongside local churches to reach college campuses. Thanks for listening.